Well, today we begin the Advent season, and Advent literally means, in Latin, arrival. It is this reminder that we live in between two arrivals. We look back in history and see that there was the first arrival of God in Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And as we celebrate on Christmas Day, the birth of Christ is in some ways the pinnacle of the Advent season. And we look back in time, but we also look forward to the time in which Jesus will arrive again. We, in a sense, live in between two arrivals. We live in between two Advents. And as we look back, it gives us a sense of how we're able to look forward and live today. And one of the things that we want to do in this Advent season, as we march towards Christmas, the incarnation of Christ, God coming in the flesh and the person of Jesus, we want to restore a sense of wonder. Now, I do believe that we were made for wonder. We were made for awe. We were made to, to be breathless, speechless, caught in our tracks in life. And yet there's something else that I notice in our culture. We are starved of wonder. I think that's for a multitude of reasons. But one of those reasons among many is that we uh, through the Enlightenment and through uh, much of what was done in the last number of hundreds of years is that we've wanted to actually figure out mystery. In some ways, our, our search for truth, which is a great thing, God has given us our minds, has actually sought to explain away everything. And in many ways, we've lost a sense of wonder over things that we now take for granted. We lose a sense of wonder over the fact that we live in a remarkable, remarkable ecosystem and environment that allows our physical bodies to not be crushed under the weight of gravity, to not fly away from the earth towards the sun for lack of gravity and too much gravity towards the sun. We, we lose a sense of wonder that we have hearts that beat without us thinking about it. We have lost a sense of wonder over the ability for a body to digest food and to to take away nutrients to fuel the body. We've lost a sense of wonder, of, of creativity and beauty and love. And in this culture where we've lost a sense of wonder, we can often enter the Christmas season going through the motions. We can lose a sense of wonder of what this season is all about, and it just becomes about gifts and staff holiday parties and extra traffic and just getting through it. And so my prayer, our hope, is that as we begin this season, we can restore a sense of wonder, a wonder of the Christmas season, a wonder of the Advent season. I want to begin with a sermon titled, Wonder in the Frame. Because the reality is, as we go throughout life, as we perceive things around us, in a sense, there are things that are in our Frame. We look through the world through a frame. Our perspective on how we see the things around us, the people around us, the things in our lives, how we view ourselves, how we view everything around us is through a frame. And my hope is that we would restore wonder in the frame. And I believe that one of the greatest ways that we can do that is to go to God's Word and to remember that God is a God of wonder who does wondrous things who does awesome things, who does things and is a being who should stop us in our track to give us a sense of, of awesome, soul-shaking, 
paradigm shifting perspective that actually changes how we view ourselves, how we view this world, how we view the life that God has called us into. And as we go to God's word, as we look throughout the fullness of scripture, it's remarkable to see that God does wondrous things often by inviting us to participate in those wondrous things. You can go to Genesis, for example, and see that God created everything and it was good and created humanity and it was very good. Wondrous was God's creation. And God invited those first humans to participate in the wonder of creation by caring for and cultivating it. And when we lost that, that intimacy with God, the shalom, the peace of God, when we chose our way rather than God's way, and when that experience of wonder as we lived veiled lives, missing the sense of God in the midst of everything, providing for us in remarkable ways, God then was on a mission to restore, to reestablish, to rescue, to save us from that lack of wonder and to restore back to us a sense of being in right relationship with God. And God did so by inviting people to participate with God in the wondrous acts of salvation, the wondrous acts of provision, the wondrous acts of rescue. And today we're gonna to go to just one of those many, many, many stories in scripture. It's found in the New Testament. It's one of my favorite stories in scripture, this remarkable, wondrous experience where events transpire and it leaves people amazed, filled with awe of the things that they have witnessed. And it restores in me wonder back into the frame of my life and reminds me that God does these wondrous things by inviting us as people to participate with God in the wondrous things of this world. I believe there's an opportunity this Christmas season, this Advent season, for you to restore wonder in your life. And we're gonna do this by going to God's word and realizing that God longs for you to experience the wonder of who God is and the wonder of what God is doing. Let me read for us out of the gospel according to Luke. This is chapter five, verse 17. As I begin reading, maybe some of you who are familiar with scripture will remember just how significant and memorable this story is. Again, beginning in verse 17. One day while he, this is Jesus, was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law. They were sitting nearby. In fact, they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Just then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And when he, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who, who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say stand up and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He, this is Jesus, said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately, he stood before them, 
took what he'd been lying on and went to his home glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them and they glorified God and were filled with awe and wonder saying, we have seen strange things today. This, my friends, the reading of God's word as we say every week, thanks be to God. Okay, I just wanna walk through this. I don't have three points for you today, but I just wanna kind of walk through this passage and just remind ourselves of the wondrous reality that is here in this text, but also the wonderful reality for us today. So again, as it begins, as I just read in verse 17, Jesus was teaching and there were Pharisees. This was a group of religious leaders. There was also teachers of the law. These were rabbis. They were sitting nearby. And it says they've come from every village of Galilee. At this point, Jesus has this reputation that has caused people to come and see. And often that's how it starts with Jesus. There's something that people hear about. There's something that, that spreads throughout a community. There is rumors. There's, there's, there's evidences. There's, there's things that spread. There's witness, eyewitness accounts. And ultimately people come and see. And now people have come and seen from every village. Jesus has done enough things that he's gained this reputation of being a great teacher. Some people have talked about his healing it says here that he had the power of God to heal remarkable things and people from all over come and there is such a great crowd. Often when people come and see, they crowd around Jesus. And the reality is that we're in a season right now as we lead towards Easter that churches around the US, churches around the globe will have bigger crowds than they normally do. People often come twice a year. They come on Christmas and Christmas Eve. It's Easter and Christmas Eve. And so these two times the crowds come. And part of it has to do with just uh, maybe how we were raised. Part of it has to do with we want to, you know, keep up a tradition. And so what's interesting is that often when crowds come and they come and see, there's an opportunity to really see and perceive who Jesus really is. You see, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees wanted Jesus to be somebody who fit into a nice, neat box. They didn't want him to be a paradox, if I could say it that way. They had a very clear understanding of what the Messiah, the Savior of the world that had been prophesied in the Old Testament would be. And they had expectations of what he would do, what he would say. And all of a sudden, as we get into this, all of those preconceived notions were shattered. In fact, when it ends and it says, the crowd says, we've seen strange things today. The Greek word, which is the language of the New Testament for strange is the word paradoxa. It's where we get the word paradox, a seeming contradiction that doesn't make sense. And upon further analysis, further study, further insight, further investigation, though it seems to be a paradox, it is true. These things that don't fit together somehow do. And I believe when that happens, it causes us to be filled with wonder. So there's this crowd. And yet there's one who some translations say is paralyzed and has been living on a mat. And I want you, if you could, just to imagine what life would be like. We don't know how long this has been. This individual, their entire life, their entire identity their kitchen, their living room, their bathroom. All of life is on this mat. This translation says on a bed. Their whole life is on this postage stamp of existence. 
I want you to imagine, what would life be like reduced to that? Some of you, it's hard to imagine. You experience such freedom. You have such health. You have so many opportunities. Maybe this Christmas season, you're going to be doing some traveling. So it's hard to even imagine what it would be like to, to stay in one place for perhaps years, unable to move, unable to, to get out and go, unable to have agency of your life. And yet some of you, perhaps you relate to this so well. Right now, you're bedridden. I receive many letters from people who join us every single week on KCOP who live in assisted living, perhaps, though you have freedom to move about that wonderful residence, that there's still a sense of confinement that is less than what you experienced than when you were younger. And so as we gather here, I acknowledge that thousands of people are joining this message. And for some of us, it might be impossible to imagine what life on a map paralyzed would look like. And yet some of us, we know exactly how that feels. And it might not just be a physical paralysis, it could be a relational paralysis, a financial paralysis, uh, an emotional paralysis, a psychological paralysis. We can be wanting to be promoted, to move out of an apartment, and it can be something that we feel we've gotten stuck in. We use this phrase. In fact, some people, though they have such wealth, though they have so many means, Though from the outside, they look like they can do whatever they want, whenever they want. At a deep inner life, I've had many people say, I feel stuck. And so the reality is, is that I think every single one of us is on some way, we're all on a mat. And our mats look different. Some are physical, some are emotional, some are psychological. Some have to do with things that we can't even articulate. Some we know exactly how we would describe that math. And ultimately, my question to you is, do you have people on your life? Do you have people who will carry you to Jesus? Because this paralyzed man, we don't know if he had a previous relationship with these individuals or if they came by in the crowd on a rush to see Jesus and happened to see this paralyzed man on a mat on the way to Jesus. We don't know. We don't know the backstory, but we know that ultimately they carried him to the crowd and ultimately up onto the roof to then lower him down. And so at some point, he actually let them into his life. At some point, he allowed them to pick him up he allowed them into his life to do that which he could do, not do on his own, to bring him to Jesus. And again, before we move on, do you have somebody in your life? Do you have people in your life who love you enough that aren't just there to encourage you, though that is a beautiful thing, who aren't just there to give you good advice, though that is a wonderful thing, but do you have people who are willing to sacrifice themselves to carry you to the feet of Jesus? And if you don't have those people in your life, we want to help be those people in your life. You know, as a church family, we have such a diverse and unique group of people and people who would love to be the type of people that God uses to carry you to Jesus in prayer, in encouragement, in just listening and so would you reach out to our church family? Would you go to bellair.org forward slash connect? That's a great first step. If you can't make it to our physical campus, for whatever reason, you don't need to come here. That paralyzed man, he didn't need to come to Jesus. And in fact, Jesus isn't on this physical campus alone. Jesus is everywhere because he's the Lord of all. And we want to carry you to Jesus 
in a way wherever you are, wherever you find yourself today. So as we enter into this Christmas season, for some of us, this is the hardest season of the year. We've experienced loss. We've experienced heartache. For some of us, it is the busiest time of year and we feel stuck in our obligations. Whatever it is, you need people in your life who are willing to carry you to the feet of Jesus. And when you open your heart up enough, when you lay down your pride enough, when you lower your defenses enough and acknowledge that you actually have need, because that's what the paralyzed man, he needed to do. He didn't wave them off and say, no, 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 I'm fine. Though how frequently do we do that today? No, 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 I'm fine. I'm good. He says, I, I, I have need. Okay, I'm willing to be carried. What a massive step of faith that paralyzed man took. Imagine if he didn't let them in. Imagine if he didn't allow them to pick him up. Imagine if he didn't lower his pride. Imagine if he didn't say, okay, take me. He'd still be on the mat. Well, he'd be dead now. It's 2,000 years. But the rest of his life, perhaps he'd still be on the mat. He wouldn't experience the wonder. Wonder wouldn't enter into the frame of his life. He would continue to see his life through that frame, through that lens, through that perspective, that experience of this is all that there's in. And so as we begin this season, the more and more you invite people in your life to carry to the feet of Jesus, the more wonder will rush into the frame of your life. But let's look at it from the other perspective. These individuals, they didn't have to pick up this guy. And I don't know their backstory. I don't know if they were coming to Jesus for healing themselves. I don't know if they were coming to Jesus for teaching themselves. I don't know if they've witnessed Jesus before. We have no idea. But ultimately, they had enough faith to believe that if we take this man to Jesus, Jesus will do what Jesus does best. And so ultimately, not only do they pick this man up, and I love how Pastor Mike Morgan has preached on this sermon before to imagine that these four corners of the mats perhaps required four individuals that would pick up a corner of the mat that these people in community, it wasn't just one who carried like a fireman, you know, this individual. It was, it was a community of people who came and they identified somebody in need who, as we will discover, it's so much more than just physical need. It's so much more than physical paralysis. But ultimately, they pick this man up. Think about how hard that is. Think about how inconvenient it is. Think about how much you have to get outside your comfort zone to get close enough to somebody who's been paralyzed living on a mat. Again, all the rooms that you have in your house in which you do different things, this man didn't have the luxury of that. Everything was on the mat. I guarantee you it was smelly. I imagine it was grimy. I imagine that it was the furthest thing from comfortable which is a side note, our, our culture is so obsessed with comfort. And even within the church, I hear people say, you know, well, we'll do it only if you're comfortable with it. And I get that. But never do I see in scripture a value of living a comfortable life. God comforts us in the midst of uncomfortable situations. And I believe that the heart posture of being content and comforted is different than just being, you know, in this nice, neat little comfort zone. And so ultimately, they went outside, I believe, their comfort zone. They got close enough to this man in need. They picked him up. Think about how exhausting it is. If you've ever carried somebody who's paralyzed, you know exactly how hard it is when that person can't help you. 
in you carrying them, it's all on you. It's this weight that can't shift and can't hold on. It is weight that is the heaviest of all. And they carry for who knows how many feet, who knows how many kilometers, who knows how many miles. And they take and they bring this man and they're trying to get to Jesus and they can't get to Jesus because of the crowds. And I love that this group of people, this community, for whatever reason, it's, if it's out of love, if it's out of uh, sacrifice, I have no idea the motives, but ultimately they weren't just content with this man being at a distant proximity to Jesus. They weren't content with this man just being within earshot of Jesus. They wanted to get this man right to the feet of Jesus. And in the crowds, there's people that come and see. And ultimately, there was this sense that it, the closer you got to Jesus, perhaps the closer you could see and hear and experience whatever was going on, as it says here, the power of God in his life. And so they can't get through the crowds. And so what do they do? They climb up on the roof. This is not easy. And I want you to imagine these men who somehow break open the tile and somehow lower this man. They don't have cranes. They don't have modern devices. Somehow they're able to lower this man through the ceiling in the midst of him teaching. Talk about getting outside your comfort zone. Often the last thing people want to do when there is a public event where there is a teacher, a speaker, the last thing people often want to do is to make a scene to interrupt what's going on. And they're willing to do that. They go out of their physical comfort zones. They go out of perhaps their emotional comfort zones. Uh, they go out of their uh, societal, reputational comfort zones. I mean, people could have yelled at them. What are you doing? This is Jesus. What are you, you know, you've ruined it. You've messed it up. They don't care. They do all of it and they lower them before Jesus. In the same way, I ask the question of who do you have in your life that can carry you to the feet of Jesus? My question to you is, who are you carrying to the feet of Jesus? And who are you in community of with that can collectively bring people before Jesus in prayer, that can bring people before Jesus in acts of service, acts of kindness, acts of love, acts of generosity? You don't have the capacity to bear that weight on your own. And so who in your life can you go with to care for your neighbor, your family member, your coworker, your friend, your enemy, somebody you meet casually pulling out of the grocery store parking lot. Who knows? But the question is, is who do you have in your life that can be those mat carriers with you? And do you have the capacity? Do you have the ability to see people in need? Ultimately, it is so easy to become self-focused in this busy season of Advent and Christmas. It is so easy to just get locked in on the to-do lists, get locked in on the traditions, get locked in on our preferences, get locked into our, you know, pumpkin spice lattes, get locked into our Christmas decorations, wrapping up. We can get locked and focused on all those things that we miss the people that Christmas is for. And what I love is that the story reveals to us that when you have people who are willing to let people into deep and desperate need, and when you have people who are willing to enter into deep and desperate need, to ultimately come before the feet of Jesus, that wondrous awe fills the frame because Jesus does what Jesus does best. 
And I love how Jesus doesn't say to the paralyzed man, oh, I see that you're paralyzed. Let me heal you. He doesn't say, do you have faith that I can heal you? He doesn't then wait for the man to say, yes, I believe that you can heal me. He doesn't say, okay, then on your faith, based on your faith, I'll heal you. He says, take a look. This remarkable, remarkable, this is the only place that I found this in the New Testament. It says here in verse 20, when he, Jesus, saw their faith, not the paralyzed man's faith, when he saw their faith, the men that brought Jesus, the people that brought Jesus, this man, when he saw their faith, he looks at the person and it enacts his healing power. Again, to say it this way, that God is a God of healing. God is a God of miracles. God is a God of wonders. And when we choose to participate with God in God's wondrous works, it often is our steps of faith to say, God, I just want to bring you into frame. I want to bring a person into frame. I want you to be part of this situation that sometimes just that act of faith is the catalyst for God to do God's wondrous deeds. And in this Christmas season, we are not sitting back trying to put up a movie of God's wondrous deeds that we then passively watch as observers. No, God is alive. And in this story and today, God is a God who does wonders, who invites us not to watch, but to be participants in God's wondrous deeds and works. And there's an opportunity not only for us to see in this story, that this story, in a sense, this wondrous opportunity, these wondrous paradoxical things can actually play out in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, on our social media feeds, in our minds and in our hearts. And so in verse 20, he sees their faith. He then looks at the man and says, friend, I love that. I love that how Jesus addresses that paralyzed man, how Jesus addresses the person who is in need. He uses the word friend. He doesn't say sinner. He doesn't say paralyzed man. He says friend. You know, often we label people throughout life, right? And often we label people among things that we perhaps perceive from an earthly point of view. It can be positive or it can be negative. In fact, we see this throughout Scripture that people are labeled often either on a positive way or a negative way. We talk about the paralyzed man. We talk about the woman caught in adultery. We talk about the leper. We talk about the blind man. We talk about dead Lazarus. But I often wonder if Jesus was to introduce these individuals to us, if he would use the same labels. And when I read verses like this, and I look at the fullness of Jesus' ministry recorded in the Gospels, I get a sense that Jesus wouldn't say, hey, this is the woman caught in adultery. I imagine Jesus would use her name. And I imagine Jesus would say, this is my friend. And he would say her name. That he wouldn't say, this is the, the leper that I healed. He would say, this is my friend. And say that person's name. And the first thing that the God of the cosmos in human flesh, who is the fullness of the creator God, 
the majesty of God, the holiness of God, the beauty of God, now in human form, fully God, fully human, the first thing that God in the flesh, Jesus the Christ says to this man who's paralyzed, who likely in that culture, they assigned some sin in his life or his parents' sin in his life that caused that paralysis. He looks at the man and he says, friend. And then he does something so paradoxical, so extraordinary, so wondrous. He says this, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And immediately there's this commotion. Immediately, what was shattered in the frame of what those Pharisees and religious leaders thought Jesus should fit into, it was all shattered. And they begin to murmur to one another. They begin to question one another. They begin to say to one another, this, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? And Jesus responds and he says this, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, stand up and walk. I love how Jesus often answers questions by simply asking questions. And he says, what's easier? The impossible of forgiving sins or the impossible of having a paralytic man walk? But he goes on. So that you may know that the Son of Man, it's a label for himself, a title for himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the one, he looks at the man paralyzed, whom he calls friend, and he says, I say to you, stand up and take your bed, take your mat, and go to your home. And immediately, after he had spoken about his sin, after he had healed his spiritual paralysis, he looks at his physical need, his physical paralysis, and heals that as well and says, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walk. And visibly, it represents the totality of the healing, wondrous power of Jesus to heal spiritual and physical paralysis. And he gets up and immediately he stands up before them and he took what he'd been lying on and went to his home, glorifying God. He couldn't contain it. He was shouting perhaps singing, sharing with everybody who meet, who, who are like, wait, isn't this, isn't this the guy that has been on the mat and he's carrying that mat? You know, I, I often wonder why did that, that friend who has now been healed of his sin, who has now been healed of his paralysis, why did he get up and take the mat? I don't know the answer is why. I've heard so many pastors and preachers say so many eloquent things. And I often wonder, could it be perhaps, who knows? Could it be that he takes this mat as a reminder of just how much healing power that Jesus has? As a reminder of this is how much in need I was. That Christ, Jesus, God in the flesh has healed me from could it be that that man, now able to walk, now forgiven, would look at that mat and not see it as a thing that constrains him, but a reminder of just how free he was set? I don't know the reason why he took that mat, but an amazing thing to ask Jesus one day, but the ultimate thing is he was healed. And ultimately, the crowds begin to say, amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen strange things. Again, in the Greek, paradoxa paradoxical things today. 
You see, the paradox of Jesus is that Jesus, in many ways, didn't fit into any category. As the gospel writer John says, he was filled with both grace and truth. The fact that he was filled with grace and filled with truth seems to be a contradiction. And all throughout the life of Jesus, he seemed to say paradoxical things all the time. God must be worshipped, and you must be perfect. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Mercy is extended to you. Grace is given to you. And ultimately, none of this makes sense unless you zoom out and see the fullness of life that isn't just Christmas, that isn't just the birth of God in the flesh. That, that's a paradox in itself. What a wonderful, wondrous reality. Fully God, fully human. What a paradox. How is that possible? And we can remember that and we can celebrate that and we can allow that to seep into the frame of our lives that God didn't say, come to me, but I'm going to come to you. That as we drive through traffic, as we wrap gifts, as we go to staff Christmas parties, as we get through sicknesses, God has come to us. And he's been filled with both grace and truth. But we don't just look on Christmas, we also look forward to Easter and we we reflect on the reality that Jesus ultimately lived the most beautiful life of all, contradictory in so many ways, powerful and yet humble at the same time, firm and yet accommodating at the same time. And ultimately, he goes to the cross, and on the cross, we see the fullness of God's justice and God's mercy. Those are two contradictory things come together on the cross. And ultimately, we get to see just why Jesus could say, your sins are forgiven. And the reason why Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority to forgive sins. The quick little backstory in my prayers that this would fill you with more wonder is that ultimately, when we look at all of Scripture, there is this story that unfolds from beginning to end. That in the beginning is how it ends that we begin in right relationship with God, we experience the fullness of life in full relationship with God, with ourselves, with each other in creation. And ultimately, we get this picture of the new heavens and the new earth where that will be restored, where all the fullness and the beauty and the vibrancy of life as God intended will be restored. All that we've lost will be returned. A fullness of a relationship with God, ourselves, with each other, with all of creation, there'll be no more sickness or sadness, no more division, no more hate. No things that would ever wreck our heart or wreck our relationships. And yet we live in this in-between time where there's fractures everywhere in our own life, in our relationship with God, with other people, with creation. And the story of Scripture is that on one hand, God says, this is what it means for you to be in relationship with me. It means holiness. It means obedience. It means perfection. And the law was one of those things that helped enumerate what it would look like for people to live in accordance with God's heart, in accordance with God's design, in a way that they would experience a loving relationship with God. And so God doesn't compromise on that. Even as Jesus says, I've come as truth. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And on the cross, the fullness of the truth 
the fullness of justice is poured out. And yet the contradictory and yet wondrous reality is that Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who fulfilled the law of God, went to the cross by choice, not as a victim, but went victorious, so that Jesus would fulfill the law, would put an end to the sacrificial system, and when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we receive the finished work of Jesus in our lives, God extends to us mercy. And justice and mercy, they come together on the cross, and justice and mercy come together in this story. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is withholding that which you deserve. And it comes together in this paradoxical way and people can't imagine, how is it possible that Jesus could forgive sins? It's not that he said, oh, it's not that big of a deal. He said, it's such a big deal that I'm willing to go to the cross to take care of it, to deal with it, to finish the work so that you don't have to. And today in this Christmas season, we celebrate the wondrous reality that not only did God come to us, not to show us how to live a perfect life, which frankly, we'll never live up to. And if you just look at Jesus' life as a life to imitate, you're gonna let yourself down. But the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to imitate Jesus for God to love you. God already loves you. And that's why God sent his son who lived the most beautiful life, who died a sacrificial death, who says to you, your sins are forgiven, who looks at you and says, any physical, any emotional, any spiritual malady, I want to heal it ultimately in the fullness of time, in the new heavens and new earth, but I can begin healing right here, right now. And therefore, we get to follow Jesus. We get to celebrate Jesus. We get to share the wondrous deeds of who Jesus is, knowing that God has invited us to be part of not only a wondrous salvation history in the world, but in our own lives as well. So again, as we begin this Advent season, as we begin this Christmas season, my prayer is that you would bring Jesus right into the forefront, into the frame of your life, and that ultimately you would see everything that goes on as this wonderful invitation to join from God's point of view the wondrous work that God wants to do in the world. You see, if I can say it this way, God has a point of view. Everything is in God's frame. And God is inviting you to be in the frame with God to do those wondrous things. Again, if that paralytic didn't open up his life, if those friends didn't carry that man and enter in, it would have been a missed, wonderful, wondrous miracle. I believe there are opportunities all around us, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces, for God to do miracles, God to do wonders. Let's long for that. Let's have a vision for that. Let's open up God to do that in our life, and let's step forward and be part of what God invites us to do. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you that as we begin this Advent and Christmas season, I thank you that you came to us. You didn't tell us to come to heaven Unlike any other worldview or religion that says that we have to measure up or we have to strive or we have to do these things to get to you, you came to us. And you meet us in the midst of whatever's going on in our life and you call us friend. And you give us an opportunity to experience not only healing and salvation 
but you give us an opportunity to experience the wonderful work that you want to do in this world. Open up our capacity for awe and wonder this Christmas. In Jesus' name I pray. We say together, amen. We are so excited to share with you. Yesterday was uh, our Thanksgiving box build and deliver day. And it was an amazing time here on Bel Air campus. People were uh, going through lines and putting cans into boxes and putting prayers into boxes and delivering more boxes than we ever knew we would because of your generosity. All of you that decided to participate in our financial goal caused us to exceed what we ever thought we could do, which meant the outward reach of this church was extended further. More boxes, more families, more reach of an intentional God to the families living in the vicinity of Los Angeles. We want to say thank you and celebrate your generosity and the way that God is reaching people here in Los Angeles. Thank you. And we have our next way that you can participate. We're moving into Christmas time and we are doing a Christmas toy drive. We're doing it with one of our favorite ministry partners, the Family Rescue Center. And here's how you can participate. We are collecting brand new unwrapped gifts for children and teens and sending them to Family Rescue Center. Now, you can do this a couple of ways. You can either shop and bring toys here and drop them off at Bel Air Church, or if you are at home and you wanna stay at home, you can shop by going to the Amazon wish list that's been put up by Family Rescue Center. You can go to belair.org forward slash outreach in order to shop the wish list. You can order uh, toys and they'll be sent directly to Family Rescue Center, which is where they will be delivered to kids and teens uh, through this great organization. By visiting our outreach page, you can find much more information about even more ways that you can be in this outward movement of God this Christmas toward kids that don't have the love, the toys, the, the care of the community unless we help provide it. And so you can see opportunities to volunteer, organize the toys into age ranges. You can wrap gifts and you can even be present on the big day when the kids come and receive presents that they never knew they were going to get. It's amazing. We invite you to participate with us in this great fun, this outward motion of God, the Christmas toy drive with Family Rescue Center. Join us.